Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today for round two is Mr. Mastin Kip, who is the number one best-selling author, speaker, and creator of functional life coaching for people who are seeking rapid transformation in their lives. He has been featured on the Emmy Award show Super Soul Sunday and recognized as a thought leader for the next generation by Oprah Winfrey. He has built a highly successful international personal development company that helps people create rapid change, connect to who they really are, and how to live their lives with passion and purpose. Through his writings, online courses, and in-person seminars, and the international retreats, Mastin has worked with over 2 million people in over 100 countries around the world. Oprah recently also named Mastin one of 100 Awaken leaders who are using their voices and talents to elevate humanity alongside other teachers like Tony Robbins, Carolyn Meese, Deepak Chopra, Dr. Brene Brown, Marianne Williamson, and Eckhart Tolle, just to name a few. So I've had I've had Mastin on the show before, and the first time we talked about his new book, Claim Your Power, and it was really, it was straight fire. If you haven't listened to that episode, I was really blown away because, you know, I, I admittedly had a certain perspective of, of Mastin based on the work that he had done. Uh, you know, I thought that he was very much in, in the spiritual realm and that that's a bad thing. Um, but when he came up with this new book, Claim Your Power, it really seemed to uh, be a different avenue, a different approach. And it sort of co- the combination of mindset and spirituality and, and real life practices. And so the first interview was really profound. He was on point uh, and really brought the heat. And so today I wanted to have him back on to talk about a few different things and go deeper into the areas of high performance and to talk about how to heal uh, things like trauma and how to uh, heal some of the wounds that we might have in our life to actually get the best results. Because, you know, as as really any high performer notices, you have to be performing optimally. You have to be performing at your best. You have to be completely healed emotionally, physically, mentally in order to get the best results. Because if you are suffering emotionally, it's going to be hard for you to perform. If you're suffering mentally, it's going to be hard for you to perform. So this episode, really, we take a deep dive into what high performance is, how to get the most out of yourself, regardless of the area. Uh, Mastin and I talk a little bit about, about trauma and healing some of those wounds and the different practices that are out there. We talk about the evolution of therapy and we actually walk through the the sort of chronology, the chronological timeline that has led us to traditional therapy, that has led us to the personal development world. And we actually look at the future of personal development. So if you are a person who is in the personal development world, you know, goes to therapy, does any of these things, this is a really interesting conversation because we actually talk about Uh, you know, the future being data-driven and how a lot of personal development coaches and et cetera are starting to integrate data into their work, uh, which is something that we are looking at doing within the realms of Mantox as well. So really, really interesting conversations today. Uh, So if you are looking for an edge in your business, if you're looking to whatever it is, lose weight, make more money, 
uh, this conversation is really, really imperative because it is the work that needs to be done in order to achieve those results. So without any further delay, uh, just a quick reminder, actually, one more further delay <laughs> to all the guys out there. Head on over to the Man Talks community. Join the community. We've got some great dialogue and conversation in there about masculinity, some challenges on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, and for everybody who wants to go a little bit deeper, definitely check out the Man Talks Alliance if you want to come work with me personally for a four-month program with a, uh, a small group of guys from around the world that are committed, that are holding each other accountable. Uh, definitely check out the Alliance. It's mantalks.com. Uh, you can check out the Alliance on there. So without any further delay, please welcome for some straight fire, Mr. Mastin Kip. Connor, it's good to be here in person this time. Yes. It's awesome, man. Yes, this is so good. We're like sitting here in the apartment in Manhattan. Uh, I love it because I was actually in this building last time I interviewed you. Yeah. It was like 10 months ago. Yep. Claim Your Power is just coming out. And I was sitting, we actually, my fiance and I lived in an apartment downstairs on the second floor. Nice. And I was like cramped up in this like little space. <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm glad we're in a much more open environment. Yeah. And the view is awesome. So yeah, stoked to be here, man. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So uh, normally I ask the question, like tell us a story about a defined moment that, that made you who you are today, but you've already answered that question. But so. I can answer it again. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. it's changed. Well, I would say it's a, an, another moment, okay. um, which is actually the release of the book, Claim Your Power. You know, uh, anytime you do a, a launch, especially something that you work on for 10 years, it's a vulnerable moment, you know? And that, that, that release and then the subsequent aftermath uh, in a good way has been extremely uh, defining moment in my life because I've really tapped into this new understanding of what people are really looking for and what they're, what they're wanting to talk about beyond the basics of basic high performance tools like nootropics, meditation, and some of the, the standard, I guess we call them hacks, into more of a, a depth of an emotional conversation. And it really seems like people are ready for it. And that has really changed my paradigm because when you start talking about emotional blocks and trauma and things like that, you know, not everyone, when you think about the word trauma, people think uh, domestic violence or sexual assault, but like a relationship or a soul-sucking job, lots of things can cause those emotional wounds. And uh, I've really just seen people really soak up that information. And it's really a What's apparent to me is that um, what I thought was like a conversation that was either too scary or people weren't ready for, people are really ready for. And that's been exciting for me because that's what I've been doing for like the last 10 years. And I've been always trying to find my way to dance around the topic because it's always kind of deep and it's always kind of a little intense. Um, But it's been very interesting to see people's receptivity to it Um, because when you put out a piece of work, there's all kinds of feedback. And the feedback has been predominantly good. And also just people going, thank you. I'm trying to figure out what was stopping me. And now I finally figured it out. And so now we're really double down, we're really double downing on that, on that focus around the deeper stuff, which is really, really, um, that's a major redefining moment for us, for sure. Nice. That's incredible. I, I think one of the, one of the biggest things, I mean, there's a few things that we're going to talk about today, but I just wanted to acknowledge that it is challenging for people to talk about trauma. And it's so funny how quick oftentimes people will will disassociate from that, right? It's like, oh, trauma, that's for the people that have gone through heinous things. And That's a great word, heinous. Yeah. yeah. Heinous I just rewatched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they use that word in there. <laughs> they do. And uh, that's awesome. It's the second time I've heard it in like a week. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so, you know, what, what ends up happening is people are like, well, you know, I had a pretty normal childhood, and like nothing dramatic happened. And so, like, you know, I, I don't consider myself to have trauma. So I love that you sort of expanded it and, and have sort of like brought in these other pieces that people are, you know, are traumatized by. So we're going to touch on some of those pieces 
and uh, and sort of pull through this. But maybe just give us like a quick update between you know ten months ago and today. Sure. How have things gone? <laughs> what you know? What's happened in the life of NASA? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for supporting uh, Claim Your Power because, as I said, that was a super vulnerable moment. And when you release something, it's like you have to completely let go of the results because it's something that's outside of your control. But you know, the book came out. It was at number one on Amazon, not for like five minutes, like for weeks uh, plus. And it sold really well. And the sales have been going up week over week, uh, which, which is something that's really cool because it's a word of mouth thing. Um, you know, there's all these like internet marketing tricks you can do to like become a bestseller, make it look like a certain thing. And I, I'm not interested in that. You know, my favorite band is Tool. And they put out records because they love it. And people have a word of mouth adoption. They have a real following. And I like the model that type of marketing, that type of approach, real adoption versus forcing it down someone's mouth and yeah. manufacturing something. Um, so, you know, it's it's been growing. And the cool thing has been is that as I've been talking about it with people, um, really hearing stories about how they've done the meditation, they've done... Uh, you know, butter in the coffee, love Dave, love Bulletproof. I just had a talk with him about this. But the, it's the deeper work. There's a recognition of that. And then, you know, adding on to the what seems like daily multiplication of uh, emotional intensity, we'll call it in the news, with everything that's happening today, uh, politically, socially, with women's rights, equal rights, you know, the, the environment uh, has shifted significantly as well uh, in the last 10 months. And this is the conversation that people are starting to have around the deeper issues, because when pe- people are asking questions like, how did we get here or how did I get here is the same idea. And you can't just say, how did I get here? And then go, I don't know. You got, we got here because of uh, unhealed emotional stuff that's coming up. And some of it is generational. And some of it is because there was a gnarly breakup that you went through. And some of it was because you're a soul sucking job. But it's compiling, and so it's really starting to create some awareness around this. And um, that has been really reaffirming because it's a risky thing to put out a book like this because you know people want uh, the five ways to become the richest, the fastest, or the seven steps to get lose seventy pounds in seven minutes. Like they want this like quick fix thing. And I've never been that guy. I'm, I'm more like, how do we create sustainable results? And the hard part is in the marketing because people honestly, the people don't want to do work. It's kind of like they want the six pack, but they don't want to do the reps. You know. And what's been interesting is, is that it, the biggest significant shift is that people seem hungry for deeper material. And that has been really uh, incredible to witness. And not just women, because our audience is primarily women, which is why I love being on, on a show like this, yeah. uh, to reach more guys, because it's cool to talk about emotions. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, it's crossing over uh, into men, too, which has been really cool to see as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, I mean, one of the biggest shifts that we had, uh, Tim Urban, who... You know, started blog, wait for why, and yep. TED Talk and whatnot. And it, it was kind of funny because over the last couple of years, there's, the pendulum has sort of swung from this BuzzFeed, you know, clickbaity articles. That, that's still there. It's still prevalent. But the, the, the pendulum and the momentum has swung into give us the real, give us the real material. You know, stop feeding us the surface level crap and give us some deep meaning. And, and people and millennials and our generation and, and even old generations are like really looking for that that deeper sense of meaning now. And I think that more people are coming to the space where they've tried the surface level quick fixes that haven't worked or have <laughs> produced very short term results. Yep. And then they've fallen back into their old habits, their old patterns, and and they've tried the quick diets, they've tried the quick fixes, and now they're like, okay, if those things don't work, now what's left for me? And it's like, okay, you have to do the deep work. You know, yeah, you absolutely. The, the really meaningful stuff. 
So it sounds like you have been really on that journey, and you know, after having gone through the, your book, it really is a deep dive. You know, it's <laughs> a deep, deep dive into a few different things. And and so today we're going to talk about high performance. We're going to talk about you know dealing with trauma. We're going to talk about a lot of these things of you know providing emotional language for people. Um, and and I'm really you know I think one of the one of the central focuses that I've seen of your work in your book is is dealing with with, with trauma. So let's just front load that a little bit. Sure. Let's just talk about that straight up and and maybe just can you define trauma for the listeners? Yes. And I'm gonna do it with a bribe first. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um so so listen if you want to A make more money, B have more love in your life. C, have better relationships and create sustainable weight loss or high performance or just feel good, waking up with energy. If you want any of those things, then listen up, okay? Because this is what the, this is what the conversation is about. And, you know, the type of coaching that I do and created is called functional life coaching. And I realized I do the exact same thing as functional medicine, which is identify root cause things. And so if you look at someone like, for say, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, who's probably the most well-known functional medicine doctor trained at IFM, the functional medicine doctors take a root cause approach. So they treat the symptom. But then they look at why is it there in the first place, where a standard doctor, they're trained in the paradigm of treating symptoms alone. And so, for example, if you have high cholesterol, then they give you a statin, which just lowers your cholesterol. But it's sort of artificial. It forces your body to submission. And functional medicine says, well, hold on a second. Why do you have high cholesterol? Is it fatty liver? Do you have prediabetes? Do you have type 2 diabetes? Like, is there some type of C-reactive protein happening? Do you have some inflammatory markers? What's going on? They run tests. And they go, hey, you have fatty liver. Oh, you eat like me. You eat like way too many domino sinistics. And that's why I had prediabetes was was a lifestyle condition, right? And then I treated the root cause and then the symptoms went away. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the same type of approach that's emerging in personal development. And if you look at personal development, especially the work that we're doing, but the general work in, you know, as a whole, all kind of originated, well, but beyond sort of the religious philosophies was William James in the 1890s when he was at Harvard and he talks about, he was sort of the, the, the father of psychology, and his goal was, you got to make your nervous system your ally. That was his intention. And he thought that psychology was a soft science because it wasn't measurable in 1890. Right? You couldn't measure things like neurotransmitter levels. You didn't know anything about neuroplasticity. We hypothesized about it. And today, with all of the, you know, mentioned, wait, but why, all of the exponential technologies that are coming out. So the last six months working with a company that's doing exponential work in the microbiome field. And there's so much that can be measured today. And what's really incredible is that it's it's that root cause approach to really seeing what's underneath that is going to help anyone break free of the next level. Because basically, you have this nervous system that's you know millions of years old that does not want you to change. It wants you to keep the status quo, wants you to stay safe. And the problem is, if you want more money, if you want more love, if you want more anything, if you want to change your body, if you want any of those things, you're messing with homeostasis or the way things are. And our entire system is designed to maintain homeostasis. So the impulse to grow is in direct contradiction with our impulse to survive. <laughs> and so that's where trauma comes in because what's traumatizing? A soul-sucking job is traumatizing. Um, a relationship that has gone awry. Sometimes even in a great relationship, there's traumatizing moments. Uh, emotional neglect. Uh, sometimes even today, just watching the news can be a hard thing to do. And all trauma is is a wound. So you could say, I had a good childhood. I'm not traumatized. And I would say, but did you break your arm? And even if you had great parents, and the answer is, yeah, probably, or some version of that. And so, you know, you don't just like sit there. Imagine if you were like seven years old, you broke your arm. I'm, I'm good, you know, because my head wasn't cut off, right? I mean, it's like some weird thinking around uh, a wound, and you're walking around and you want to play baseball like I did. And if you n never got the wound fixed, 
you would never be able to do what you want. And then you'd be saying, I'm not traumatized. Meanwhile, you're taking some type of painkiller to numb the pain, but you're not traumatized. So the problem with it is that it's invisible right now. You can see a broken arm. You can't see emotional trauma yet. There's emerging fields where we could get into that, but the, you'll be able to map trauma soon. But you can't see it yet, so you don't know if you're actually, quote, traumatized. But if you're experiencing uh, low-level depression, anxiety, ups and downs, and these bipolar things, that's absolutely a symptom of unaddressed, unhealed emotional trauma. And the entire mental health field, the, the, what's known in the zeitgeist is the DSM, which is sort of the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual for Mental Health Disorders. It's where you get terms like bipolar disorder. They diagnose based on symptoms of behavior and emotions, but they don't diagnose based on the trauma-informed perspective. And what we're seeing is the majority of mental health disorders, and by the way, I'm a college dropout, so take that and do what you're going to do with that, but I'm not a mental health professional. But what I will say is the majority of mental health uh, professionals I've talked to and that I've seen in my own work experientially with our clients, thousands of them, is that a lot of mental health disorders are essentially coping with unhealed emotional trauma. Uh, Dr. Bessel, who wrote um, many books on trauma, talks about multiple personality disorder as an example. You take five or 10 people who have MPDs and you put them in a room together, they seem, quote, crazy, right? But if you take someone who has an MPD and you put them in their family of origin, it makes complete sense. And they actually don't have mental health issues. What they're doing is being highly creative at coping. I invented three personalities because it's so hard to be in this environment, right? And then you can cross over into entrepreneurship. Right. Where like you go hard all day at your business, but then how are you nurturing your relationship? What is that really? Are you sure that that's not trauma? Because it sounds like you're pushing someone away and you're pretty good at being alone. Yeah. You know, I'm speaking from personal experience. So you can go super extreme into mental health and into uh, a lot of the sort of domestic abuse things. But we can also look at the refined, hidden, more socially acceptable versions of it, too. Um, and that p- pulls into you know, earning more you know, financial breakthroughs happen as a result of healing. Right, not some webinar strategy, yeah. um, and emotional breakthroughs in a relationship happen as a result of healing too. So it's all the, it's, we're focused on the wrong thing. It's not the strategy. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting to hear you sort of uh, unpack a lot of this because you know just just looking at people and the results that they get in the world, it's often based on where they feel they are internally. Right? It's that like law of attraction, law of abundance. It's that what you put out in the world is what you feel like you deserve. And so in a, in a lot of ways, we, you know, the work that you're doing and the work that we do is really around helping people heal from that trauma. And, you know, people that were bullied in school or teased or had embarrassing moments in school often don't, don't sort of associate those things as being traumatic in, in any way, shape, or form. And so I love how you've sort of flipped the script a little bit on, on trauma and said, like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so how can you point to a traumatic experience? <laughs> yep. Uh, if you don't know that it's been coded in your internal system, in your subconscious mind, in your nervous system as a traumatic experience, you know, in, in, until you have the opportunity to pull some of those pieces out. That's right. And I think as That's we extend question. the definition of trauma from sort of these really, you know, impactful moments that are so obvious to some of these more subtle experiences, because I think if we really look at it, a lot of people have been traumatized by social situations, right? Public speaking that didn't go very well, it, you know, having to read in class, getting it wrong. I hear so many people that don't like public speaking simply because in like grade five, they were asked to read in front of a class and they stuttered a little bit. And that right there like stuck with their internal system and has never gone away. 
So now as a 45 year old man or woman in a board meeting having to read something off or do a presentation, they're completely stilted because of something that happened decades ago. That's right. And it's, um, it's that simple and that uh, complex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, because people, you know, it's how do you identify it? You know, we can, let, let's pause for a second and talk about, um, so I, Tim and Wait But Why, I loved him. I met him a little over a year ago um, at an event and we had a chance to have lunch together. And uh, I love his blog and I, I love everything exponential. And here's the thing about exponential, right? So everyone's like, go to the Mars and spaceships and all this cool stuff. Problem is, like, if you don't do the trauma work, you're just going to take traumatized human beings to Mars, yes. right? We've all seen Alien, you know, and we know what it's like to be on Mars with their trauma. Just ask Matt Damon. Like, nobody, it's not a good thing, right? Yeah. And and here, here's the thing about these exponential guys. A lot of them have a trauma like what you're talking about. They don't address it. They don't work on it. And it's, a, it's actually an escapism impulse. There's nothing wrong with wanting to build an interplanetary stellar, interstellar system. That's awesome. But let's do it like Star Trek The Next Generation style where we work things out like Captain Picard, where we're like talking it through versus just, you know, plowing through things and, and, you know, creating space forces and stuff like that. You know, it's like, that's not the way to go. And if you look at someone like Elon Musk, it's well documented. He had a very traumatic childhood with his father. He had another trauma recently um, uh, with children. And that is in, and his mindset is, why would I talk about something that's hurtful? It's not productive. And it's like, Elon, wake up, bro. It's, is, if you don't do your trauma work, it's holding you back. You're going slower. Yeah. You're, you're perceiving things as a threat. He thinks artificial intelligence is going to turn into Darth Vader yeah. based on his previous experience with his father. He's projecting his wounds of his father onto artificial intelligence without realizing that that might actually be the very thing that causes the thing that he doesn't want to have happen. Right? That's what happens all the time. And so a lot of these exponential guys have these big dreams and I'm right there with them. I think huge. I love exponential. I love, you know, uh, Ray Kurzweil and all that stuff. But the thing is, is for exponential growth to really take off, we have to have exponential healing to support the resilience that's going to be required to maintain exponential growth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love that last sentiment of exponential healing uh, in order to have that exponential growth. Because, you know, if, if you are wounded and we all are wounded in some way, I think that that's it's a... a semi-logical assumption like you know we, we come into the world we have all of these circumstances unfold we get hurt along the way and maybe things haven't been bad quote unquote i'm using air quotes right now yes maybe, maybe, quote, quote. <laughs> yeah maybe things haven't been bad but there have been some things along the way that have created limiting beliefs that have created these traumatic moments that are marked you know in in our subconscious psyches and we carry those with us and then that's how we act out in the world and so if we are not able to heal some of those things but we expect ourselves to produce results that we're not currently getting. That seems a bit absurd. So I want to I want to kind of just look at some of the fields because there's so many. You've got like somatic therapy and CBT and EMR and you know NLP is kind of in there. Like you've got all of these yep. different fields that are coming out for healing through the emotional body, through the mental body, through the physical body. And I'm curious in your in your search. What are some of the fields that you have seen that are starting to produce really incredible results in this healing of the internal nervous system and the subconscious psyche? So that's such a big question. That's probably the topic of my next book. So okay. I just want to earmark that, okay? Uh, because it's massive. Like, you, I'm, I'm, at some point, I'll probably do a trauma encyclopedia because, like, there's so much. I mean, it's like it's probably like five hundred thousand words that have to go into an encyclopedia or volumes to really define that. But I'll do my best here now to kind of give you a concrete answer. So, um, and to do that, I need to provide a little bit of context. Okay. So I've spent the last uh, six months uh, working with a company called Viome 
uh, V-I-O-M-E. And they're uh, really focused on microbiome research. And they have incredible scientists there. That, you know, some of them came out of like, the Human Genome Project. Some of them came out of Los Alamos Lab. And I, I've had the task of learning how to take all the science and help them market it in a way that people understand because it's very, very complicated uh, when you really get down to it. And the bottom line of what I've discovered along that search, because any market something, you have to understand it. And what I've discovered is essentially the majority of the, of the issues that we have physically in our body all stem from some type of dysbiosis or, uh, or imbalance in our gut microbiome. Um, the majority of our neurotransmitters are produced there. Um, there's, you know, trillions of microbes in there. We have two to six pounds of microbes in our gut. And so if you have a chemical imbalance, it's because you have a gut microbiome imbalance. And there's a bidirectional communication between the gut and the brain via the vagus nerve. And there's 10 times more information coming from the gut than the brain. And we've been microbes longer than we've been neurons. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making part of the brain, the front part of the frontal lobe, that part of the brain is the thing that does all the overthinking. It's the youngest part of the human anatomy, right? So trusting your gut, like that's literally where the wisdom is. The neurotransmitters are produced there. The digestion happens there. Absorption happens there. And 80% of our immune system is there. And so when we talk about trauma work, the first thing you have to focus on is healing your gut microbiome because that's where your feel good, like if you want more GABA, if you want more oxytocin, epinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, any of those things, it comes all that, the factory for that is your microbiome. So you've got to do your gut work first and foremost. So you start to feel better, right? Think of it as like stopping drinking, right? Like you don't, like there's nothing you can really do to feel better until you stop drinking. Leaky gut, like leaky gut is literally fecal matter, oozing into the rest of your body, right? That's nasty, right? <laughs> right? And that's why you feel like shit, right? Literally, right? Actually. Literally, right? And so like, literally, it's true. I mean, it's crazy. And you know, the other thing is, so like all that chronic inflammation, a lot of the, uh, we're seeing a lot of chronic disease is a result of chronic inflammation. And that all starts in the gut. So trusting your gut is not some metaphor. It's literally true. So in our work, we always uh, emphasize microbiome, starting with microbiome concurrently. And I had this conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Bland a couple months ago, who's the founder of functional medicine. He's uh, Mark Hyman's mentor. He's a legend in the space. And I asked him, I said, Dr. Bland, what comes first, the microbiome healing or your trauma work? And we couldn't figure it out. So we kind of set a chicken in the egg where like your trauma work and your microbiome are like the root of both. So they're kind of both equally important. And so what I've sort of figured out as a model is there's basically three pillars to uh, really getting your, 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 your butt in order uh, and really performing at the best. So there's functional medicine, there's functional life coaching, and then there's energy medicine. And pretty much every trauma hacking or trauma healing therapy falls into one of those three categories for the most part. Functional medicine will do the root cause symptoms in your body. But the problem is there's lots of people who get to the root cause symptom and they treat it for a short term, but then the symptoms return because they're still coping with the unhealed emotional trauma through eating tons of Snicker bars or you know drinking too much or whatever it might be. They're trying to cope with that emotional trauma. So even the, a lot of functional medicine doctors are getting frustrated that they're not getting the results because the, the trauma work isn't there. If you just do your trauma work, then what happens is you haven't healed the gut dysbiosis and the things that are wrong with your body, so you don't have any energy. So you feel like, I'm doing all this work, but I still feel like shit, right? So it's the combination of those two things. So functional medicine, going to see a functional medicine doctor, through, and my favorite uh, certifying board is IFM, uh, Institute for Functional Medicine. They have the most innovative training out there. It's Hyman's, um, it's where Hyman got trained. It's bland. Everyone's there. Because not all functional medicine doctors are the same. So you have to figure that out. But then functional life coaching is the second pillar to that. And that's what I do. Because what we do is we rapidly identify what the root cause trauma is that's keeping you stuck. And then there's 
many different modalities that could help sort of manage that that are recommended. And so the reason why I say start in the gut, though, is because if you start doing neurofeedback, right, if you start doing EMDR, that's brain-focused, right? But if you have dysbiosis in your gut, it's not going to fix your brain. So no matter how much EMDR or neurofeedback you're doing or any of these you know, sort of brain hacks, if your gut's messed up, it's like a temporary fix because your gut is still sending inflammatory markers and information to the brain. So it's still not the root cause. So that's why if you're, if you're doing EMDR and you're doing neurofeedback or things like that, it's great practice. But when you focus on gut health, it just amplifies and maintains the work that you're doing. So when you do the functional coaching and the functional medicine together, it's, a really, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Um, it's a really beautiful thing. And the thing that we learned with um, doing the work with Viome is that every single person has a different reaction to food. So as an example, 30% of Viome's customers have an inflammatory response to spinach, which you would think is anti-inflammatory. Good for you, right? But there's 30% of the population, they don't have, what is it, octillobacter that allows them to digest spinach properly. So it's inflammatory. So there's no such thing as healthy food. It's just healthy food for you. And what could be healthy for you could be toxic for me and vice versa. And so the same thing is true in the, in the approach to working on your trauma. For some people, it's neurofeedback. For some people, it's EMDR. For other people, it's EFT. For other people, it could, you know, there's many different modalities out there. You have to find the one that's right for you. Uh, Gunnar Peterson, who's a trainer out in LA, is a buddy of mine. Um, I always ask people when they're super smart questions. I go, Gunnar. He works with all the celebs. I go, what's the best cardio to do? Like the best one. And his answer was, Mastin, the best cardio to do is whatever you'll fucking do. <laughs> right? That's, that's the bottom line, right? And so as long as you're addressing the, 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 the microbiome issues and the root cause stuff, pick your, you know, sort of other things based on your preference. Because without the gut work and without the trauma work, it's helping you cope better. You're feeling better, but you're not getting rid of the root cause stuff. And so if you love EMDR, go do that. If you love Kundalini Yoga, which I'm a big believer in, been doing Kundalini Yoga for over a decade, um, go do that. But you want to make sure that you have your emotional practices in there. One of my favorite practices by far in the last 12 months that's emerged for me is um, a specific type of myofascial release. Myofascial release, people hear that word and they they kind of like tighten up because it's kind of traumatizing to get MFR or rolfing done. But there's a type of MFR that's very enjoyable. And MFR is like yoga. There's so many different types. Uh, it's called John Barnes Myofascial Release. And I've been getting um, stuff, um, John Barnes uh, practitioner for about, maybe about a year now, once or twice a week. She comes to my house and the most amazing things have happened. I uh, heal an old baseball injury in my throwing shoulder. I had uh, a huge emotional breakdown when I, like I, my right shoulder, um, I had a, a uh, I was an all-star baseball player in high school and also a wrestler. And my arm snapped uh, when I was wrestling. I couldn't throw. And the orthopedic doctor said, you'll never throw again. And I believed him because I was 14, 15 years old. Well, I had this huge emotional release through this MFR work. And it turns out that for whatever, 20 years, basically, I hated my right shoulder. And it was all this tension was there. And when the release happened, I was like angry. I was crying. And like, I felt like my arm was a lightsaber. Like it just had all this energy in it. And I was like, what is going on? And all these flooded memories of like all the repressed unlived dreams of doing baseball stuff. So what happens? Two weeks later, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina now, and I go to like this batting cage and I find out there's a coach there who played for the Houston Astros. He started coaching me. And the dude's been to like a yoga retreat for professional baseball players. And he's talking to me about conscious breathing in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm like, this is crazy, right? But the, but the point is, is that like the issues are in, the, in your tissues literally. And we, there's a lot of stuff that we store uh, trauma-wise in our fascia. And here's the thing about fascia. Fascia gets tense, like your lower back will go out or you have these like um, aches and pains. 
one of the things that fascia does is it tries to prevent you from going back into a position that traumatized you in the first place. So if you've had some type of baseball or sports injury or some type of abuse or any other type of stuff, your fascia will not let you return to that type of stuff. So sometimes it's not, you know, um, degenerative disc disease, it's tense fascia that needs to be released. And so I've been a big, 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 uh, with all of our clients and everyone, I'm like, in our, I'm like, John Barnes' myofascial release has been a game changer for me because you literally work the stuff out of your fascia. Um, and so the combination of all of those things have been really powerful for me, the functional, uh, functional medicine stuff, the functional coaching, the John Barnes stuff, and Kundalini Yoga. Like Those are kind of my primary go-to things, but it's based on preference because if you love EMDR – Go for it. If you have a, if you want to go to trauma informed therapy, that's a great companion piece for functional coaching. But the thing about functional coaching is you can go through like the claim your power process or come to claim your power live and you'll know so much about yourself and you can walk into your therapist office and go, okay, so here's what happened. Here's how I coped. Here's what I'm working on. Here's where I want to go. Here's how I sabotage myself. Let's work on that. Usually it takes you 10 years with a therapist to figure that out. You can do it with us very quickly. So it's a good companion piece, but you have to have a holistic approach to transformation. You can't just do one thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that is one of the biggest challenges that when people look at creating any form of change in their life and they're wanting to become high performers in their business, their relationship or whatever that looks like, it can seem overwhelming at first. You know, it's like it can seem overwhelming for them because there's so much information and data out there and so many different types of practices for the body and the mind and the spirit and, and the medicine and all these different forms. And I think one of the one of the cool things that's really starting to emerge are these very foundational, well-researched, uh, data-driven uh, businesses like Viome. And I've seen Naveen James speak a couple times. I've met him. He's brilliant and out there and hilarious. But but the 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 passion is very real to produce something that can put the power of information into people's hands to be able to say, here's what's going on, and here's how you actually start to heal yourself. You know, and, and here are the people that you can work with to actually do so. So, okay, so that's a little bit about, about trauma, healing, some of those things, and the different spectrum of, of things that people can work on. When it comes to functional life coaching, can we, can we just talk about that a little bit? Because I think one of the things that a lot of people have qualms with when it comes to the personal development world, when it comes to the coaching world, is that I think for some people it's kind of got a bad rap. So just personal development in general. So I'm kind of curious because you have been in this in this industry working with people for so long and you've been... Dude, I'm not that old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not like Tony Robbins. Right? Not, like, not like in the game for, for, for you know, clapping on stage and like getting people around them. Um, but how have you seen, how have you seen the personal development industry shift over the last couple of years as companies like Biome pop up and and leading, leading people in the industry like yourself start to attach with some of these companies and, and really provide data-driven work rather than, you know, uh, a sort of ethereal work. Yeah, like, so, okay. How do you see it okay, first of all, I love this question. Okay, because it's, it's my heart, my soul, my everything. Like, because the data is everything. Because the data is like, is it working? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of context on that question. You have to, the the, the the, the evolution of personal development kind of started, uh, you know, Ten Commandments, uh, Buddha, and then Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount. Like, there's like the Beatitudes is like personal development 101, right? And then, you know, you have other, a lot of other religions that came by, but they're, they're all talking mindset, 
right? They're talking heart set. They're talking ways of behaviors. They're talking about sinning. The original term of Christian sinning was to miss the mark, not like you're a sinner. You know, it's just you miss the mark. It's an archery term. Um, and then, you know, you take a big leap and then you get William James in the 1890s. And then that's like, oh my gosh, there's this thing. Psychology is a thing. Like there's a mind and it operates somehow. And it's, we can't see it, but we know it's in there. And and then you start getting Freud and you start getting Carl Jung and you start getting, understanding archetypes. And you start understanding projection. And I don't think everybody wants to fuck their mother. Freud was kind of messed up in a lot of ways. <laughs> he did, right? he did some but, things. Yeah, yeah. But, but a lot of really good work too. And then you start getting, you know, Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls and you start getting Milton Erickson and you start seeing like this sort of therapeutic space emerge. Uh, by the way, kind of tangentially with World War One, World War Two, the Depression, like there's kind of this like traumas that are happening um, and, and these things are happening. You have Think and Grow Rich in the 1930s that came out as a as sort of a post-depression sort of pep talk, essentially. And, and, and that's really a, one of the books that solidified mindset as being an important thing. And I read that book once a year. And then, and then you have the human potential movement start to emerge, right? And you have Warner Earhart start to come out with Est. And, and what's interesting about Warner is that he was actually friends with L. Ron Hubbard. I don't know if anyone knows that, but L. Ron Hubbard's creator of Scientology. And L. Ron kind of took the human potential stuff and then he's a sci-fi writer and kind of sci-fied it a little bit. Um, and so there's some truth in there. And then there's a lot of like, that's some strange stuff in there too. Um, but the human potential starts to emerge, uh, movement starts to emerge. S and Life Springs start to come out. And then you start seeing Tony Robbins come through. And Tony starts to combine that stuff with a little Ericsson hypnosis and NLP. Um, and, and then and then there's this like weird shift where the economy starts to boom in the 90s. And then it's all about selling, 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 selling. And then we had the downturn. And then technology started to enter in, right? And so that's kind of for context. And there's a lot of other things people have not mentioned. But that's kind of the, that's, that's especially my my lane. That's kind of the emergence of my lane. And so now what's happening is there's so much data that's available that if you're not looking at your, not just your, like who fucking cares about marketing and sales metrics? Cool. We're going to look at all that, right? What's the ROI and the ad spend and all that type of stuff, customer acquisition costs, all the standard Shark Tank questions, right? Got it. But the real metrics are in the delivery and the results. And so in the next five years, if you're not data driven, if you can't prove your data, if you don't have AI assist in your results, you will be irrelevant because people will not believe you because people want to actually see it. And the one thing that we're working on is everything that I do has been data driven. Now it's data driven based on our own database, right? So it's not some third party. Um, and we do use it for marketing sales, but primarily for de developing content to teach, but we're working towards academic research on our stuff as well, because there's a lot of people in our space that, you know, like there's a lot, there, there is a lot of, you know, there's the weary of the upsell, the event thing, and there's all kinds of, and, and there's the intention of how is someone going to treat me? And then like, am I blaming someone for something I'm taking responsibility? I should take responsibility for and all the weird stuff that happens. But I want to be able to on stage in 12 months say, this is the only academically studied coaching program that gets this result. And by the way, it's X percent better than the standard mental health practitioner. I want to be able to make that claim. So we're working towards that. So we have a high focus on data and we have a high focus on client metrics and we're always trying to improve it. There's a lot of room for us to improve, but we also deliver a lot of value. But the data is so important because if you don't have data and you can't measure it, it's just, it's just ethereal, right? And so 
you have to have data, you have to have results because you know six or seven years ago you can come out with an online course and say make money change the world or whatever, and people would believe you. People bought into that, and then they realized it's actually work, and then all the trauma kind of stops them. And now there's like online course overwhelm because people don't want to learn more stuff because it's not even the, the marketing that's the problem. The problem is they don't believe in themselves to actually do it this time. So they're sort of like online portals, their Kajabi portal or whatever has become the new like bookshelf, but this time it's a $500 or $1,000 thing versus a $20 book. And so the, the, the industry has to also pivot towards helping people implement, which yeah. means that the leaders and the coaches have to be more involved with people rather than just like, hi, I'm just like time, money, freedom person, and I'm going to go do this automated thing and whatever. Like you have to really be there with people, especially people who are in transition and figure out ways to hold their hand and help encourage them through the significant life change that it is to go from quitting your job to starting a business or a relationship shift. So that's what we're seeing. Um, and that's what we're focused on. And one of my hopes and goals is as people start to understand how we do our programs and, and the research that will come out about them, that people will have to up their game because the industry needs to, for sure. Because there's a lot of people who can make claims, but you could highlight five people that out of a thousand that made it. What about the other 995? You know, (laughs) it's so true. I think that, you know, I've been saying for a while that the future of therapy is training. And in in so many ways, it's not just training uh, for the sake of training. It's it's data backed training. It's like, what is actually working? Like, you know, I love this point about courses because I think so many people get into the coaching space and the coaching industry uh, for that exact reason, right? They're looking for the freedom, looking for the autonomy, looking to make money, and they want to produce a course and some content and put it out there, but is it actually impactful? And that, I think the problem that a lot of a lot of people have, a lot of people in our generation, especially millennials, is that they're looking for purpose and they're looking for impact, and it can be not debilitating, but it can be very deflating for the coach themselves or the person themselves when they're putting products out there, but they're not seeing results for the people that are actually implementing and utilizing their programs. And when they start to see that that, that course, that program that they're putting out there, isn't actually having results with the people that are buying it, that that can sort of like create this uh, very negative spiral for them. So how how do you see, so like where do people start with it? Because I'm assuming that there are some coaches that are out there listening. And I think that this information is very beneficial for the consumer as well, the consumer of these books, courses, content, products. Uh, where, where do coaches, where do people start to look for this data, for this information to integrate with their content? And Great question. So, so I love uh, agile mindset, right? So you look at how like software companies or these like startups at a Silicon Valley operate. It's, it's learning. It's a, uh, it's the, a minimum viable product, right? And so MVP. And so the goal is you put something out, you test it, you see what works, you see what doesn't work, and you pivot, right? And what I do is I never go to market with online course first. Never. Never, 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 never. Because I don't know exactly how to teach what I'm teaching if it's a new thing because I have the curse of knowledge. I don't know how to teach it to a beginner. I'm not sure if the way I'm marketing it is going to work. And for every seven-figure launch that happens with an online course, there's thousands that don't make money. And I've had launches that don't make money before too. And we have great revenue so we can recover. But you know, one little change in marketing can take it out or take it in. And so it's, it's a risky thing to go put all that time and effort into an online course if you're starting there. So what I do is I start with a high-end coaching package, typically with a one, one-on-one or group or a retreat experience. And it's enrolled over an enrollment process. And it's a, it's a high-ticket item. 
And we're upfront about the fact that it's a new thing. So it's kind of like early adopter thing. And I'm upfront about the fact that I'm not entirely clear how to teach this, but I'm getting these results. And I'm going to ask lots of questions and basically survey people and understand what are their questions about this topic. And then I'll do that process for a period of time until I have a pretty good understanding of what the marketplace needs and then how I need to teach it and how I need to say it. It's all about semantics. And then I have confidence to say, let's do an online course around that because it's what they actually need. And by the way, I just did, I had people pay me for R&D, right? So that's how the Claim Your Power process happened. It used to be, that the, when we still do them, but that used to be just like a $11,000 retreat, hmm. right? And then it was a coaching program and then it was a live event and then it's a course. And so everything, our product creation is driven by the needs of the market, not by me just sitting around thinking about what I can make up yes. because like that's a waste of fucking time. So I look at what do people need and not asking them what they need because Henry Ford always says, if you ask people what they needed, they would have said faster horses. I always focus on what problem do they still have. Well, so other people are focusing on what is so-and-so doing or what is so-and-so doing and how are they doing it? What are they teaching on, right? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm looking at my consumer, my ideal consumers, and I'm looking at what problems do they still have and then how can I provide solutions for it? How can I provide actual results? And then how can I at best systematize and automate delivery of that service. So I'm always focused on solving problems and I don't focus on what any of my peers or anyone else is doing. And somehow over the past month, or sorry, past year or so, we sort of emerged as cutting edge, mm. right? Because I took my focus off of what other people were doing. And I put my focus. And so how do you be cutting edge? Solve the problem of today, <laughs> right? And, and Naveen, you know, very simple answer. How do you become a billionaire? Solve a $10 billion problem, right? And so it's, one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about the coaching space is that people want these automated businesses and they don't want to do anything. They want to engage. And it's like hard to get a hold of, you know, I work with lots of entrepreneurs and when I work with Naveen, the guy has, he's the one guy who has no reason to get back to me because he is who he is, but he gets back to me the fastest of anybody. <laughs> right. And so I also think this level of, you got to be engaged in your business. This whole idea of I'm just going to set it and forget it, it's like that's called lazy and you will be disrupted faster than you can inhale and exhale yeah. because things are moving too quickly. So it, the market is maturing. The space is maturing. I think the marketplace and the consumers are more becoming more uh, hip to who's full of shit and who's not. And I also think there's the market is diversifying, right? I'm not like I'm probably not someone's first entry into personal development. If I am, it's like a fucking smack to the face, Right. Like, I, we definitely want to turn people on to personal development. I'm for the person who has tried some of the basic stuff and they don't got the result yet and they want to get the actual result. That's what I do. Um, and so, you know, that's a different, that's a differentiator between people who maybe are just introducing people to principles, yeah. right? Um, and so the marketplace is diversifying. And so you definitely have to focus on solving problems and be associated with and engaged with your business. This, I, I will say this on this podcast. I think the visionary implementer model is complete shit because it absolves the visionary of any responsibility of doing anything. It's sort of like being a spoiled brat a little bit. And it drives me nuts when I see entrepreneurs who are just like, I'm a visionary. It's like, everyone's a fucking visionary. Everyone's a fucking visionary. You know, the hard part is implementation. That's Gary Vaynerchuk's whole thing, yeah. right? So the idea is you have to, and that's the thing I've learned from Naveen. I've watched how he scales and he is, he is, he is deeply involved in every aspect of the company. And he trusts, he doesn't micromanage, but he's there. He's yeah. not, I was expecting the VI model for him because he's like the ultimate exponential entrepreneur, right? 
I was expecting him to be like the visionary, you know, kind of doing whatever I've imagined a visionary would do based on the books I've read. And what I'm realizing is that like, no, he's, he's way associated with it and he's way responsive. And I really wish that for more entrepreneurs. And, and the other thing is if you're going to set it and forget it, don't be surprised when you get disrupted. Don't be surprised when things start to change because the marketplace is changing so fast, you know, t- again, with weight, but why exponential, the market is so different today than it was 12 months ago. Yeah. And 12 months from now, it'll be even more different, yeah. you know? And so you have to stay on top of that. And the way to stay on top of that is not to look at what other people are doing. If you're looking at what I'm doing right now, if you're like, I want to be like Mastin, you're looking at information that we received nine to 12 months ago. You're not looking where I'm looking, which is at solving problems. And that seems like such an obvious answer, but people don't focus on that because they're looking at the numbers, the metrics, the vanity of it all. They're not looking at the actual end consumer. You have to make your client the number one stakeholder in your business, not your time freedom. Yeah, and I, and I love this because you, you know, you're, you're not only hitting the nail on the head for the personal development industry, but really entrepreneurship, full stop. You know, like this, this concept of, of being able to not only dream big, and I think a lot of people over the last five years have sold lots of programs and lots of tickets and stuff like that to 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 events and sold products based on dreams, right? Based on inspiration. And now we seem to be moving in this age of the doers. Yeah. Of, of yes, you can have a dream, but you actually need to do a whole bunch of things. And and people more and more as social platforms seem to and this is what I've noticed, as social platforms grow exponentially more powerful and anybody can access to you. You know, I've gone on podcasts before and people will add me on Facebook and write me Facebook messages and like they demand a response. They expect a response because I have put myself out on somebody else's, on somebody else's podcast. And so I think as, as, as we start to be more interconnected through the virtual network, we almost have more of a responsibility to have direct impact on those people. You see CEOs and executives now of major companies that are accessible via you know one or two platforms for any consumer, any one of their customers, and and these are these are CEOs and executives of companies that have like you know a hundred million clientele, a hundred million people in their client base, and they make themselves accessible to all of them. And so I think in the personal development industry, where for a long time it really was about that, how do I you know go live in Bali for twelve <laughs> months and have financial freedom? and sell online programs, that might still work for some people, but I do think that the the consumer is actually hungry for, I want direct access to you because you're the expert and you're the personal, you're the person that I actually want to learn and connect from and get training from. Yep. You know, it really is turning more into like a form of martial arts where people are, are choosing their master, they're choosing their sense of that's they cool. want to go and, and learn from. Yep. And, and that's the shift in the industry that I have been seeing and like kind of uh, you know, thinking about how we how we even do things within Mantox. So cool. Let's let's shift a little bit towards high performance because I feel like we've kind of been talking about this in, in a way uh, throughout this throughout this whole spectrum. How have you seen high performance? First off, how do you define it, and how have you seen uh, how people achieve that start to shift? Because I think the definition and the achievement of it have have both shifted even within like the last year or two. Sure. So great question. So, so I like to again provide some context to the yeah. answer because uh, it, it it's a contextual answer. So, so high, the idea of high performance 
is, is definitely evolving. You know, high performance used to mean gold medal in the Olympics or something like that or billion dollar business. And I want to be very clear. I'm all for being the best at something. You should be world class at whatever you're doing. Um, but high performance today is about um, vitality, meaning you have more than enough energy. It's about uh, longevity, meaning you can go the distance. It's about resilience, which means you can take a hit and recover quickly. Um, and it's also about how to produce uh, better and better results, essentially, in a more and more complex and exponential world, right? And so every day, like just, I mean, as of this today, us uh, recording this, yesterday, Instagram launched a whole new platform. Yesterday, a platform, right? That's like mind-blowing. There's new strategies that have to be emerging. There's new ideas. There's new content processes. Like It's like, Jesus, again, right? December, Facebook completely changed their algorithm. Right. And like all publisher output was dropped by like 70% or something crazy. So, you know, like the world is always changing on a technology front. And there's more and more pressures happening sort of uh, as a result of that. And so, high performance is essentially making exponential growth safe, is basically what it's all about because there's always change. Right. And with the, with the human nervous system, the idea is that, oh my gosh, I'm unsafe now. That's that's what it's for. It's like it's, it's the vigilance and hypervigilance is what it's all about. Is am I safe or am I not safe? And every single thing that changes, all of a sudden, there's a level of uncertainty and or fear and or lack of safety. Oh, and by the way, it's not just that. Oh, now I have a relationship to be in. So not only do I have to completely like change my world now because Instagram launched a new fucking platform, right? Now I have to tend the emotional needs of somebody else. That's a quagmire for an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right, because it's two different be- ways of being. It's two different rules. It's two different tones of voice. Yeah. Right. Everything changes. And by the way, in a relationship, typically when you get in a relationship, it's someone has the opposite trauma that you do. One person's scared of being abandoned. The other person's scared of being smothered. And you kind of like work that shit out, right? And so, but like, how do you do that under tension of a business? So when you look at the typical relationship mindsets of like a Harville Hendricks or a John Gottman, who are incredible teachers. It's a different context now because that was for the nine to fivers, right? And now it's at least one person starting a business or like maybe the dad's staying home now or something has shifted. And so high performance is also about how to have enjoyable, good times with a partner inside of incredible stress of a business, mm-hmm. right? How do you segment and compartmentalize those types of things? Um, and so it's different, right? Because, you know, money stress and then having differences in a relationship, those are all very stressful things. And most sometimes people collapse in a relationship or they just become just like the other person and then they get all um, uh, angry and stuff like that. And then, you know, that, that causes problems. And so, so we have to work through all that, right? And so all of those things, the result of working through the, 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 all, the, those are all traumatizing things, by the way, right? All of those things, if you can manage that and you can maintain emotional well-being throughout that process and, and resilience, that's high performance. Because shit is going faster and faster and faster. It's more complicated. It's more stressful. There's more, there's more emotions coming up. And because there's so much change and so much diversity, um, like you have to be able to navigate all that in a way that does not produce crazy stress, anxiety, disease, and you know, um, hypertension, all these types of things. And that's what high performance is all about. It's not just about being the fastest. It's also having being the most enjoyable. Because why do we do all this work if it's not enjoyable at some point too? And so you know, like for every great launch, let's talk about the relationship that fell apart. Right. So, so, I mean, it's so good. It's so true. Like I, I had a conversation with Dr. Pat Davidson, who is, uh, 
recently who's like a, a trainer here and he's got a PhD in exercise physiology. Nice. He knows the thing. But I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with somebody so knowledgeable about the, the working of like the inner workings of the body and like how to move, movement, strength training, that kind of stuff. And one of the things that really stuck out to me that I think is so apt to what you're saying is is the idea that, that high performance is about variability. Yes. And and that that's resiliency, right? Like I think that high performance and resiliency are really interconnected. And to be truly resilient, you have to have variability. You have to be able to in any moment, and this is I think this is the, the challenge of a lot of uh, like a lot of the men that I see and that I work with on a daily basis is that they are they're so used to working in one modality. And that one modality gets them results in one area of their life. But then when they are required to be in a different modality in their life, they don't know how to shift. Yeah. And so the way that they you know, speak to their employees or get results at work is then how they're trying to raise their kids. And, it's not <laughs> That's right. and with their wife, it's really not getting yeah. results. And then they're like, oh, shit, what the hell do I do? And it's that being able to switch so quickly, I think, is really like the future of high performance and being able to have that spectrum of variability so so how do we actually start to cultivate (laughs) like i i know because you know from like the logical linear analytical brain i'm sure like a lot of the people listening to this are like well that's good i agree what are the tools what are the resources how do i do that sure um so uh, a couple things so my my, uh my partner girlfriend jenna she's brilliant and when i'm like with my team and or with my friend slash trainer you know i get into a certain mindset and like my tone of voice shifts, I get very direct and curt. And my team knows it. Like when we hire people, I'm like, listen, here's the deal. You're gonna get things are gonna get thrown at you, and you have no idea. It's gonna be in the middle of a project, you have no context. It's gonna seem disorganized and like there's a lot of problems. And I'm hiring you to bring organization and solve the fucking problem. So if you come to me and you say, you know, there's a problem, I'm gonna say, Great, that's why we hired you. And we need someone, I don't wanna I don't wanna hire managers, I wanna hire people who can bring structure, right? And so, and we train the team, like, hey guys. Our team is sort of like the Marine Corps, where like if you love that type of thing and you love to like really get results and get into something and have resilience and like bust through some hard things and really be creative and you know have high performance and high results, like great. But we're not just chilling. Like anyone on our team has to have resilience. And I'm also upfront about, hey, when I'm in like a certain mode, this is just a mode. It's not who I am all the time, but this is the mode I have to go in to get a result. The team understands, oh shit, Masson's in fucking crush it mode. I'm not taking it personal. We're just going to go do it. And they understand it. And then later we can break free and kind of have a you know, normal conversation. It's a trance or some state that I go into. It's hard to describe it. My voice gets really intense. I get super intense like this. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's kind of, an, it can be intense to be around sometimes, but they know that ahead of time. And I call it out. Now, if I take that and then I go have dinner with Jenna and I'm like this, I'm like, Hey honey. And like all this type of stuff, like that would never work. Right. So she'll just look at me very sweetly. And she has a pattern interrupt and she'll go, not a boy. <laughs> and it completely breaks my pattern. And we've talked about it and we worked it out. And I go, all right. And my tone of voice changed. I go, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Right? And so we have an understanding that sometimes it also takes time to shift. Right? You have to shift from an entrepreneur mindset into a relationship mindset. And you, there's a physiology associated with that. Right? So a lot of times, like after I do, um, uh, I, I um, have a day of, tra- you know, I train in the mornings and I do uh, work during the days. But we'll shift. Takes me about 15 to 20 minutes to calm down because I'm just going. I get so wired, you know. And then I'm there. And then with Jenna, you know, we do uh, dinner every day at five from five to six. And uh, I put my stuff away. There's no nothing. 
Um, and we're just there and we're just checking in and we're asking about each other's days. And like that is such a simple, practical tool. It's a non-negotiable, um, especially because we were from home. It's not like I have to travel somewhere to get home by five. It's just walk upstairs. And but it's a non-negotiable thing that we do. And the other thing is, is that like we take time off, like we go to the lake with her parents or whatever it might be. And like there's no cell phones and stuff like that. So we can actually cultivate good experiences. So I also think it's about environment. And that's one of the things I talked to Dr. Jeffrey Bland about is that like environment informs so many things, the environment that you're in. Right. So if you're only if you're home or if you're working from home is only work environment, you need to cultivate a part of that environment that is personal, that is emotional, that is for you and your partner. Because if it's just, you know, laptops and headsets everywhere and recording devices and podcast equipment, which is, is a part of my home, that's, that's all that's in there, plus an inversion table and some cardio equipment. And then the gym next door is in the garage with all the functional training stuff. But upstairs, crystals, massage table, like it's a completely different energy in that room. Um, and then we have a place where we're together. So we in, intentionally design our environments to inform the behavior that those environments are meant to uh, be for, essentially. Um, and then the other thing is, is that... Um, especially with relationships, you know, that's an entrepreneurial relationship. That's a specific type of problem that functional coaching can help with. Um, but there's also a whole field of um, relationship, entrepreneurial relationship coaches that are emerging. The best that I know of is Dr. Ellen Bader at the Couples Institute in Menlo Park. She's the best of the best. I mean, she studied with Milton Erickson mm-hmm. and she has a whole bunch of uh, therapists that she's trained. Um, but, you know, getting some assistance because the last thing you want is two good people who are in a relationship and then because of a business or the stress of that to break up, you know. But there are ways in which you have to understand different, different, like how to be in business and relationship together. That was never a problem that my parents had to worry about, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally, totally true. And like, I mean, I think about my fiance and I, you know, she's a marriage and family therapist here in Manhattan, runs her own practice. And, and we started doing work together as well. And I've never crossed the line before with a partner of cross the line. I've never worked with a partner before. Yeah, and so in the very beginning, it was very much like, "Oh, this is a whole new ball game, and there are different boundaries, and there are different, you know, we operate differently, we think differently, and so be able to to be able to set structures in those environments." Is so, so yeah, one of the keys in that is there's is figuring out decision making powers. Totally, yes. Like if you can just in a in any relationship, if you can figure out who makes what decision, huge. And there's three types of decisions. Uh, this is from Dr. Bader's work. There's the unilateral decision, which is just like, I'm making the fucking call, yeah. right? There's the equilateral, which is we got to consider it together. And then there's what's called the 5149. And the 5149 is when like one person is mostly in control of a project and they'll consider someone else's input. But at the end of the day, they're going to make the call, right? And if you can kind of look at the major decisions in your life and kind of figure out, is this an equilateral, a unilateral, or a 5149? So much peace will come between you and your partner because what ha- one of the major tension points in relationships is... Something should be an equilateral decision where we both have input and one person makes a unilateral. Mm-hmm. As an extreme example, let's just say that you uh, are in a house together. Someone else goes out, sells this house, buys another house, and moves everybody in, doesn't even tell the other partner. <laughs> that might cause a problem, <laughs> right? Right? Just maybe. Right? Just maybe. That's, a, that's a very extreme example. That would be a, a, a very obvious equilateral decision point. But, a, a 51, but then the 5149 is like maybe a remodel, Right. Where like maybe, you know, like Jenna, like I can imagine this happening with us. I don't really care about the interior of the home. Like that's, she's so, that's her thing. She loves that stuff. I can imagine her like going and working on a project and trying to get my input. And if I'm either not giving the input or if she makes a decision and then I want differently, that can also cause a problem. Unless you acknowledge the 5149 where you realize at the end of the day, sweetie, it's your call. 
then there's no tension. And then you have to figure out what's the unilateral decisions. What are the ones that are just up to me to make? And navigating those three decision types can really bring a lot of peace in relationships because if you start to realize, oh my God, this is not a problem. Like it's not you, a person, this is an equilateral decision, but you've been unilateral or I've been unilateral on it. That one distinction can massively change a relationship, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to crossing the lines with business. Because in business, it might be a completely different power structure, right? Than in a relationship. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because like, I had Gabby Bernstein on the podcast and we were talking about this because I think a year or two ago, I think like two years ago, her husband left his corporate job and went and started working with her. Hollywood. Yeah, right. And and so like so so interesting. And she was talking about the challenges of you know integrating that dynamic. And so I love this context because I think that's so helpful for people. Um, we do have to start wrapping it up here, but I want to the last thing that I wanted to touch on really quick is is breath work because I think this is like an emerging field that I've seen. You touched on holotropic breathing before, I think, and you got people like Wim Hof and, and whatnot that are bringing this forward into the space. How do you see how do you see something like that affecting people's work? Is it is it something helpful? In, like I do Wim Hof every single morning, so for context to this, um, I've found it to be like one of the most transformative things that I can integrate into my physical, mental, and spiritual practice. Um, but for the for the people that are out there, where do you see that fitting into this whole system that you live? Yeah, so, um, so breathing is important. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, it's like drinking water, but maybe more important yeah. because you don't have to take a drink of water. Totally. Like yeah, totally. So um, my introduction to breath work came from Kundalini Yoga, um, where there's lots of different types of breathing modalities in there. But if you look at the, the biochemistry or the physiology or the, the, the science behind breathing, it's very pragmatic, mm-hmm. okay? So uh, earlier I talked a little bit about the microbiome and the brain, and it's connected via the vagus nerve. So there's a whole field, and you could go down a deep dive on this field. Stephen Porges is the one who sort of brought it to the forefront, called polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory basically is how the vagus nerve works in association with how the body functions. And the vagus nerve is attached to the gut. It produces and controls heart rate variability. It attaches to the brain. Um, it attaches to the lungs. It, it's like everything. And interestingly enough, from a metaphysical perspective, it, it connects every chakra point. Hmm. which is really fascinating. But think of it as the highway of information with your body. And so what's interesting is when you're stressed, um, it's usually a vagus nerve issue. When you're depressed, it's a vagus nerve issue typically because think about this, right? Um, We are reptilian. We evolve from reptiles. Think of a turtle when it gets um, uh, scared. What does it do? It puts its head back in its shell. It withdraws, right? The vagus nerve has an automatic withdrawal uh, mechanism in it. Similar to like if you see blood, some people pass out. That's a polyvagal response, right? Uh, uh, sorry, vasovagal response. Uh, so it's a vagus nerve response. So the vagus nerve has an automatic shutdown mechanism in it. So what happens is, is that with depression, besides just being chemical imbalance, is also an actual shutdown response via the vagus nerve. It's automatic, like a turtle pulling its head into its shell. So it's a survival mechanism, right? So a lot of the therapists and a lot of the uh, biohackers that are out there that are really onto this type of stuff have looking at Stephen Porges' work and polyvagal theory and going, Oh my God, vagus nerve health is huge, right? And the the uh, John Barnes myofascial release, um, you can work on vagal points, occipital region, uh, diaphragm, and uh, psoas and gut area are some of the main points for release of the vagus nerve. But the number one thing that influences vagal nerve health is breathing. It's the fastest way to change uh, the, your vagal nerve response. So you start looking at yoga, right, or holotropic breath work, 
or how, whatever you want to call it, inhaling and exhaling, right? Basically, what's happening is that's the fastest way to, quote, biohack your vagus nerve, essentially, which regulates depression, anxiety, communication between the gut and the brain and all those types of things, heart variability. And so, like, this is a really simple, it's almost, you can almost make it so simple because it's like breathing. People think, oh my God, really? Is that simple? Yeah, it is that simple. So I'm a big believer in breath work. I haven't really done too much of the work that you're describing, but Kundalini Yoga and holotropic breath work has a, um, you know, there's many modalities of inhaling, exhaling, holding, breathing patterns. And what you're basically doing is you're essentially restoring health to the vagus nerve, which is helping your gut and brain connect better. It's helping, um, you know, support resilience around anxiety and depression. So it's a really big deal. (laughs) (laughs) And you go down the polyvagal theory, like rabbit hole, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's like, it's really fascinating. Amazing. Well, thanks for unpacking that. And the the last thing that I wanted to kind of touch on is, so you've got Claim Your Power. I think you're doing an event coming up soon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you kind of touched on it before. And I'm curious as to, you know, you've really unpacked a lot about trauma and healing and high performance. And I'm assuming that a lot of that shows up in the work, in the book, <laughs> uh, yeah. in, in, in your training. So can you just unpack a little bit about what it's like to be in an event with you. Yeah. So our events are experiential. You know, trauma happens because of an experience. And so we try to produce positive experiences for folks. And so Claim Your Power Live is a four-day event. It's a trauma hacking event. It's in Orlando, Florida, um, July 12th to 15th. And um, you can go to cleanyourpowerlive.com slash Connor uh, for a special offer that we have for you guys. Um, But basically, it's experiential, right? So it's not just like some boring seminar. And it's also not just like I'm going to like sleep deprive you either uh i'm not i'm not a big believer in that but it's experiential there's a lot of we do breathing exercises we do root cause stuff we help find purpose uh we do a lot of training on all the things that we've talked about here it's a four-day experience and it's not an experience where it's like i hold anything back like i give and give and give and give and give and over deliver and people have amazing results uh they come out of claim your power live we also share there if you're interested in coaching with us what that would look like because we do have a year-long program but the only way to get in that program is to go through claim your power live um, and that's like a foundational piece of it. Um, and that program is extremely robust and it has 400 touch points a year and it's ridiculously robust. Um, but Claim Your Power Live is really the, 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 the entry point into that. So you can come learn about it. You can come have an experience. You can come meet people who are like-minded. Uh, you know, connections and your environment is very important. It's an environment of possibility. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really fun event. And it's in Orlando. We've never done it this year. And why Orlando? Because my girl Jenna loves Disney, and so that's where we're going to go. <laughs> I'm actually like, since I'm Canadian, I've never been to Disneyland. Dude, you got to go! I've been to Six Flags, and this Sunday I'm actually going to Six Flags for the nice. first time ever. So I'm, I'm stoked for that. And yes. I'm stoked for your event, man. I mean, it sounds amazing. I've seen you uh, speak up on stage, not live in person, unfortunately, yet, but I will. Dude, you got to come. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll have to rectify that. Um, but uh, I have seen you speak, speak on stage online, and you're absolutely amazing to watch. Uh, so oh, thanks, man. Listen, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I loved having you here again. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Great questions. I can't wait to listen back to what I said. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. So everybody that's out there listening, definitely go check out Mass and Kip. Check out the book, Claim Your Power. I will have a link in the show notes if you want to check out his event. And uh, don't forget to man it forward. Share this episode with just one person that you think could use listening to it. Uh, It goes a long way. Don't forget to subscribe. Click the subscribe button no matter where you listen to us, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes. Uh, And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. 
Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Thank you.